these are not the norms on Twitter. What Kevin's talking about in developing these personal relationships is the same sort of thing that has scared me in seeing people that are pretty much lacking in substance, putting out a ton of twits and developing these huge followings of people, but they have absolutely nothing behind them. This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the first official tweet up on Lawyer to Lawyer here on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. Well, uh, after several weeks of intense voting, the results are in for the Reader's Choice Awards at the AVA Journal Blog 100. And Lawyer to Lawyer, along with the LexisNexis podcast, took home the top honor of Best Podcast. Very special thanks goes out to all of you who took time to vote for our show. And uh, I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob? Yeah, and I write a blog called Law Sites and uh, also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com and another blog called Media Law. Well, Craig, uh, not long ago we did a program on social media that uh, turned out to be very popular. One of the topics we talked about in the course of that program was Twitter, the the, uh, web application uh, by which uh, you can communicate with each other in 140 characters or less and uh, it seems that even since then, Twitter uh, is becoming increasingly popular uh, within the legal profession. There continues to be a lot of debate about the topic. So we thought we would revisit it today. Well, that's true. To some degree, uh, Twitter's been uh, both praised and shunned by legal professionals. And we're going to get both vantage points. But before we do, Bob, I want to remind our listeners that you also took home one of the top honors on the Blog 100 for your own writing. Legal blog watch. Well, what, yeah, we were on we were on the blog one hundred. That's right. We didn't do too well in the Reader's Choice Awards, though, uh, on that one. And uh, in, as a matter of fact, uh, our, our guests today were on there as well, so we can talk about that. But uh, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about uh, Twitter. Maybe hear different perspectives on it. We'll find out. Uh, and uh, and talk more about it as a phenomenon uh, used by lawyers and law firms and how it fits into all of that. Our first guest today is Kevin O'Keefe. Kevin is the CEO of LexBlog at LexBlog.com, which provides law firms a professional turnkey blog solution. He's also the owner and operator of LexMonitor, which can be found at LexMonitor.com. It's a daily review of law blogs and LexTweet also at LexTweet.com. It's a community of legal professionals using Twitter. Kevin was a trial lawyer for some 17 years and is successfully marketing his law firm through the Internet in such a positive way that USA Today said if he's not careful, he may wind up giving lawyers a good name. Kevin's blog, Real Lawyers Have Blogs, at kevin.lexblog.com, is well known for its sources of information on the use of blogs and social media for lawyers. Welcome to the show, Kevin O'Keefe. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. 
And next to join us today is Scott H. Greenfield. Uh, for nearly 25 years, Scott uh, has represented clients charged with crimes or the targets of investigations in state and federal courts across the United States. He's served as a legal expert and analyst for television news shows from 60 Minutes to 2020 uh, and on the networks ABC, NBC, CBS, BBC, Court TV, and Fox. Scott is regarded as one of a handful of top criminal defense lawyers who excels in both trial, work, and appeals. He also writes the blog, a very popular blog, and one that was in the uh, ABA Blog 100 uh, Awards, Simple Justice, which is at blog.simplejustice.us, where he recently, not long ago, wrote about his uh, perhaps skepticism about Twitter as a user. He's also uh, there on Twitter himself. Uh, Welcome to the show, Attorney Scott Greenfield. Well, thank you, Bob. Hi, Craig. Glad to have you on the show, Scott. (laughs) Scott, let's let's start with you, because uh, you did write this post, I think it was in November, in which you uh, were perhaps uh, holding off on jumping on the Twitter bandwagon, but I'm on Twitter, and I see you on there, and I know you're using it quite a bit. So where, where are you on this right now? What do you think of Twitter as a tool for lawyers and for the legal profession? Well, you see, you've asked me two different questions. It, it's It's got some purposes. It's fun. Every once in a while you want to chat up some of your buds on Twitter and, and you see them on there. You you twit to them and uh, maybe they'll twit back, maybe not. But as a, as a tool to, uh, uh, to communicate uh, amongst each other, uh, I, I can't figure out any thought I've ever had that I can put into 140 characters that's worth hearing. So I don't know exactly why anybody follows me to begin with, and uh, I'm not entirely sure what what it really serves. It's a pretty good delivery mechanism for things like uh, a new blog post. Uh, people get to announce that you know you've just posted something and. You send it out there to the world for whatever uh, it's worth. Um, it's not a bad way to, to talk with somebody uh, in particular if you just want to say hello. But uh, there's a whole group, apparently, and I, I've learned a great deal about this over the last couple of weeks, Bob, That uh, that's very busy collecting these huge numbers of followers, and they have nothing to say. And there's one guy, I think, uh, Kevin, I just posted about him uh, the other day. I got him off your Lex tweet site, who's got five or 6,000 followers. And all he ever does is retweet other people's posts. And half the time, the posts he retweets are horrible. And yet, five, 6,000 people are getting this tweet. And I can't for the life of me figure out what they're supposed to do with it, other than... <laughs> Turn off the program, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Ke- well, Kevin, what about you? Uh, what, what, you know, I, I think you come at this from a different perspective than, than Scott. Uh, there are some who seem to portray you as kind of an ev- evangelist of, of, of Twitter. You've certainly been a proponent of it. What, what's your perspective on on where it fits into the legal profession? You know, when I see things like this, I, I totally don't understand them, and I'll hear what I perceive to be smart people saying that that. Twitter is a worthwhile tool instead of looking at them and saying, well, you must, you know, you've got three heads on because I can't understand it. I'll think that there's something else there. I tend to look outside the legal profession because I think if we look inside the legal profession, 
for innovative uses of, of technology, you know, I think we would all would agree we'd be far behind. So when I saw Twitter used for the breaking of the news of the earthquake in China, that was interesting. Uh, for people to post pictures of the damage from China live before the news had broke at BBC, CNN, or anywhere in the world, or in Reuters. And then to see the New York Times and Reuters break the news confirming the earthquake 30 minutes later than I had sought the news on Twitter, and they broke the news on Twitter. That's interesting. For me to be able to sit in a coffee shop two Saturdays ago and hear that, you know, no matter what your political take may be, that Israel warplanes had attacked the Gaza Strip, and for me to go to search.twitter.com, click on the advanced button, and say, I would like to see anybody twittering from within 15 miles of Gaza City, and then to see pictures that somebody is putting out on Twitter of carrying people out of buildings that had collapsed. And then for me to, to tweet, to retweet what this person said, saying, this may be a biased view compared to Tel Aviv, but here's what's being reported by somebody on Twitter in the Gaza Strip. And within 30 seconds later, that person in the Gaza Strip responding to me saying, are these pictures demonstrating a bias? For me to sit in my office on Thanksgiving Eve and say, you know, this is horrific what's going on in Mumbai. I wonder what I can find out from people that are twittering within 15 miles of the center of Mumbai. Do the same thing, set up a column on TweetDeck, and follow reports coming from citizens in Mumbai. And then when I hear that their commandos are going to attack the Jewish center to take back control of it, where there's Jewish hostage being held there, I can say, okay, I want to listen to, to the people in Mumbai that are tweeting, but I just want to hear the people using the name of the Jewish center. What do I then get? I get links to a blog with pictures of the helicopter commandos rappelling down from the helicopter to the top of the Jewish center 30 minutes before the news is displaying it on TV because they've agreed to a 30-minute delay. Now, when I see that, you know, it's very much like Dave Letterman would play out. Is this something or is it not something? At that point in time, I conclude it's something, okay? If it's that big of an impact, I don't know really what the role of Twitter will be for lawyers. But when I saw the Internet, I, I thought it was something, and it's developed. When I saw blogs, you know, I, I thought they were something, and I think they have become something. And I think Twitter is something. You know, where it will go, I don't know. But I have seen the relay of news. I am dumbfounded to watch lawyers connect with each other on highlights of their day, disappointments of their day, the camaraderie that's developing by sharing what they're working on. Um, that's really interesting. And to be able to connect with people that they never would have met via 140 characters. I think there's something there. Well, Kevin, it, it you know really brings up the idea of just the purest type of citizen journalism that could ever really exist. But in a legal profession, admittedly, the kind of news that you're talking about and that you've highlighted 
rarely occurs among lawyers. I mean, a Supreme Court issues a decision and one or two of the lawyers that get it are going to find out about it, but they're going to find out about it just about the same time everybody else is. How do you see the application of, or maybe, you know, either Scott or, or Kevin, how do you see the application of a type of instantaneous journalism applying to the law? Two, two ways I think lawyers will use it. One is that journalism. I do believe that that the law is underreported. I think we would all agree on that. The largest matters are certainly reported. But there was a day when the La Crosse Tribune, my hometown newspaper in Wisconsin, you're serving 50,000 people, had a reporter that covered the courts. That's gone. Okay, they, they, they just don't have the ability to have that person anymore. You are going to find citizen journalists reporting in 140 characters from America's courtrooms. You know, you can say, well, that's that's ridiculous. Well, a reporter for the for the Spokane Review reported on a horrific, horrific rape and murder trial via Twitter that got national coverage. A a lawyer or a judge in Denver just ordered that Twitter will be allowed in his courtroom after it was brought up. So we are going to see that go on. Now it's then going to be up to the curators of this information to provide some medium to begin to find it. You know, will that be Lex Monitor? Will it be Lex Tweet? I don't know. But I'm going to experiment with the idea that if I see good stuff that lawyers are kicking out, can we highlight that? But also, if you want to use it from a client development tool, I I have gotten substantial amounts of work from Twitter. A lawyer in Milwaukee that represents business clients got five business corporate clients in six weeks on Twitter. How can you do that? Well, you could talk about the Green Bay Packers on Twitter, and somebody may find that you're talking about the Green Bay Packers in Milwaukee. You respond back and forth about some stupid play. Next thing you know, you're getting together for coffee, and his 50 lawyers, 50 employee, 50 employee company needs lawyer on certain issues. Who does he want to deal with? He wants to deal with people that use innovative tools like him that are having fun, like the Green Bay Packers. Small talk leads to big things. Kevin, there's the there's the joke there's there's a joke on Twitter that you know somebody puts out a tweet saying, "Is anybody on here a social networking expert?" And just about everybody raises their hand. But I, I wanted to bring Scott into this and, and ask, <laughs> how, how does this apply to criminal practice? I mean, are there are criminals uh, floating around on Twitter looking for lawyers? I mean, are people using Twitter to look for lawyers? Is there a marketing uh, role here for somebody who's in a, a dis- discrete area of practice? Practice, such as criminal law. Well, you know, it's funny you should ask because uh, we just got done. I just got done uh, talking with Mark Herman at Drug and Device Blog about this because he had posted and he was uh, picked up by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that as much as he's blogged now for, I believe, two years, he's yet to get a single client by virtue of the blog. And I've said before, I've yet to get a single client. And by that, I mean not that I haven't gotten a million phone calls, but I haven't gotten the clients that I represent, uh, which are uh, high-end, uh, higher-end of, uh, of criminal defense. Now, they're not looking for blogs. They're not looking on Twitter. Uh, these are guys who are sophisticated uh, people who come through referral and almost exclusively referral. And frankly, they don't care if you like the Green Bay Packers they care if you can beat their case, and they're not out shaking hands. This isn't the, the hardware store owner down the street who needs a contract. I think that there are 
certain areas of law. In criminal DWI, for example, where people don't know who to turn to for a defense, they'll go on the Internet, they'll look at a blog, and I think that these things are viable ways to get business for those sorts of uh, niche areas. But in general, uh, it hasn't helped me. It hasn't meant anything to me. And in fact, it's been a monumental burden because I probably get a dozen calls a day from people who want free advice or want to know if I can handle their disorderly conduct in Des Moines. I mean, I, I, or, or how come I can't defend them because they're innocent? Why should I have to charge them? Uh, these aren't really the kind of calls that are very helpful, uh, and yet these are the people who are scouring the Internet and perhaps one day will be scouring Twitter to find somebody who can fill their desires, but these aren't people that, lawyer, as lawyers, we want as clients. Uh, these are people who are uh, free-riding and uh, think that because they can find our names, that means they get a free phone call. But I, I, I can't help but wonder whether they're, the, the people who who look for... The, whether they're getting business from their blog or maybe asking the wrong question because the the, the blog undoubtedly is helping them get business in an, at least in an indirect way in that it's helping to raise their profile in that it's helping to raise their ranking on the search engine I mean Craig Williams uh, here on the show with us uh, you know started blogging that blogging led to a book uh, this podcast all of those things contribute to raising Craig's profile. Uh, in the world, and, and maybe a client doesn't walk in the door necessarily and say, Craig, I'm hiring you because you blog, but it may well be that they know about Craig or heard about Craig through the, the accumulation of, of these marketing efforts that he's doing. Kevin, now, I'll give I, you a funny, a funny backstory to that, which is I, I started doing television work probably in the mid-90s and uh, did quite a bit. And as I was doing more television, and particularly I was doing a lot of Fox on a regular basis, I wasn't getting calls. And I would find out that regular clients of mine were being arrested and weren't coming to me. So I'd reach out and said, what's going on? You don't like me anymore? Have I disappointed you somehow? And they said to me, no, but now that you're such a big TV star, my case is too small for you. You can't be bothered with a guy like me. You only represent big guys, important guys, rich guys. I'm just a regular guy. And what I found was as my profile became higher, my business got lower because people thought somehow I was some better lawyer that was too good to represent them. It became a very problematic situation. And frankly, considering the fact that when we do these interviews, for the most part, these are freebies. These are lawyers just trying to get a little ego boost or get their name out there. Uh, it was a very counterproductive effort and something for the purposes of business development uh, you'd want us to stay very far away from. It's a, it's a different... <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that 95% of the people in the country are influenced by 5% and uh, that you tend to find influencers in places like Twitter. You tend to find influencers in, in places like blogs. And who do they influence? Well, they begin to influence other bloggers. They begin to influence reporters. They begin to influence conference coordinators. And as you're, you further enhance your reputation as a thought leader by getting into conversations with thought leaders, that's just it's a fact of life for lawyers. Why do lawyers 
go to industry events and agree to speak on panels, not when they're in front of necessarily just lawyers, but in front of industry people. So if there was the opportunity for somebody that deals with oil and gas rights to be on a, a panel uh, regarding lease rights to gas issues, you know, in Wyoming, and the the audience was going to be comprised of people in the industry, would you go? Of course you would. Um, and and if you went every year to a national industry event on oil and gas, the people in the audience would begin to perceive you as a thought leader. And you'd have to know what you're talking about or you'd look like a fool when you're up there. You'd be referencing what other thought leaders were saying on the panel. Um, that's the Internet. That's 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 blogs. To me, that's, that's, that's going to be Twitter. Um, and what you're leaving behind is a track record of that information. So not only is it live Internet that people can monitor if they so choose to, not everybody's got time, but a lot of the influencers do monitor it. You're leaving a track record that's searchable so that if somebody goes in and searches on an oil and gas issue, they're going to find not only you may be talking, but they may find people referencing what you have to say. And when they look up your name, they're not going to find a website or a blog or a church civic group or a 10K race or a directory listing that everybody has. They're going to start to see people having cited you, people in the industry that they respect. And that's invaluable. Um, and so lawyers that tend to get their best work by word of mouth as opposed to yellow pages, that's where the Internet shines. So when I speak nationally on the subject and do keynotes before bar conventions, I ask the audience, how many of you get your best work by word of mouth? And it's about 95% of the people raise their hand. And sometimes it's 100%. Well, that's the Internet. The lawyers that tend to get their work through yellow page ads, TV, just get attention to me. If you can get me to call my, if, you can, if you'll call my telephone number, that's great. The Internet's not going to work as well for them. Now, there's a whole group of people that believe that's not true. But I always get my best work by word of mouth. And when I turned to the Internet in 1996 as a practicing lawyer, there was no Google. There were no search engines. There was no way that people could search, you know, personal injury lawyer in La Crosse, Wisconsin. How'd they find me? By word of mouth. Because I helped people on AOL by responding to their questions. I archive those questions and answers on a website. And as people talked about it online, people said, Kevin O'Keefe's helping people. And that got reported on in the regional press, then it got reported on the national press. And today, that same thing is going on. You go out and you communicate with people. It's not a website. you got to communicate with people. you got to do it on Twitter. You can do it in a blog. You know, this type of atmosphere. That's where lawyers want to be. And if we do those things, not only are we going to help ourselves become better lawyers and to bring in work, type of work that we want from type of clients that respect what we do, we're going to give the, the profession a better name. So what drives me in learning about these tools and being an evangelist about these tools is that somebody's got to do it as a lawyer. If I'm it, so be it. Well, we, we need to take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talk more with Kevin O'Keefe and Scott Greenfield about the pros and cons of Twitter. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. 
Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. He was the gunner in your law school. I was captain of my law school's mock document review team. He's the last one to leave the office. Why leave work before 9 p.m.? You're just going to get stuck in traffic. And now he's kissing up to all the partners. Knowing that I made some partners a ton of money is all the reward I need. Get this year's hottest gift for attorneys, the Perfect Associate, available at PerfectPlush.com. PerfectPlush.com, your source for legal humor. That's PerfectPlush.com. We hope you listen to one of our brand new shows here on the Legal Talk Network, In-House Legal, with attorney Paul Boyton, experienced in all things in-house. If you're interested in the top issues, news, and trends inside the corporate legal department, you'll want to listen to In-House Legal. Starts January 12th. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen now, download the show, or even better, subscribe to the RSS feed. It's free. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi and my co-host Jay Craig Williams and I are talking with Kevin O'Keefe, CEO of LexBlog and uh, owner of LexMonitor, and uh, attorney Scott Greenfield, blogger and criminal defense lawyer, about Twitter in the legal profession. Uh, and before we went to break, Scott, I, I believe I heard you saying something, but I, it wasn't coming through clearly. So did, was there something you wanted to say or – you know, I, I, I understand exactly what Kevin is saying, but one has to distinguish. If we're talking about Twitter, we're talking about a very different animal than a blog. And frankly, the idea that people are marketing themselves and, and, and the types of people I see marketing themselves through Twitter, frankly, scares me deeply. It's one thing on a blog where you can write a post and demonstrate a certain degree of expertise in, in a particular field of law such that somebody's going to read what you write, somebody's going to say, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, and then you're, you're selling yourself to people not through your mere existence, but through your competencies. Twitter doesn't have any of that. Uh, when Kevin talked about how Twitter served its, uh, a very important purpose during the China earthquake, uh, during Mumbai, he's right. But these are, as you pointed out, Bob, very unusual events, and events that don't really have a lot of applicability to the law. Same thing is true about the rare occasional case where somebody's twitting from a courtroom saying, O.J. was just sentenced to this, or, or this rapist was just convicted. These are not the norms on Twitter. What Kevin's talking about in developing these personal relationships is the same sort of thing that has scared me in seeing people that are 
pretty much lacking in substance, putting out a ton of twits and developing these huge followings of people, but they have absolutely nothing behind them. And there's some people I know that have very substantial followers on Twitter who I know personally and happen to know a lot of the stuff they're putting out there, they're uh, like great humanitarian type uh, twits, frankly, are nonsense. They've created a Twitter persona of, of 140 characters where they're able to manage the appearance of, of being something they're not. Uh, the communications are stilted or limited. There's almost no thought. There's no depth of thought. There's no evidence of, of competencies. And yet they're bootstrapping this community feeling into a, a, a pretense that I want to be the lawyer you refer a case to. I'm deeply concerned for you. There's also a lot of these uh, people who, with these huge followings who are playing upon the etiquette of Twitter, where if I follow you, you follow me. If I retweet your post, you retweet my post. And what you basically have are people who are bootstrapping each other's reputation, but people who have no substance to them. Now, if you go back to a blog post, you can read whether or not somebody's got any thought in their head, got any competency in their, in their field, based upon what they're writing, or whether or not they're just putting fluff in there or, and, and concerning themselves with their uh, search engine optimization. But you can't do that on Twitter. It's not enough. There's not enough depth of thought. Pretty much all of us look the same, and yet if this is going to be touted as the new way to learn who's who and what's what, We've basically got some people out there who are uh, akin to the village idiot that look like geniuses. And if that's the case, this is a dangerous uh, uh, new form of media and something we ought to be very careful there's about. A, there's a flip side to this reputation issue, isn't there, with, with lawyers? I, I, I'm constantly amazed by what lawyers will say on Twitter that they might not want to say in a more professional environment. I mean, the allusions to fairly personal matters or, or constant references to fairly mundane aspects of their lives uh, going out on Twitter. And I, I tend to wonder what impact that has on their reputation. Is that good for them or is that in the long run bad for their image as, as a professional? I, I put uh, followed Ann Althaus when she came on for the first couple days. And I basically unfollowed her when I found out that she fell on her butt the second time. It was just more information than I needed about her personal life. Um, I've unfollowed people because they talk about their dinner and their wine incessantly. I'm sure that interests somebody, but it didn't interest me. And frankly, I think I follow a grand total of 26 people. And I already have more going on on Twitter than I have time to pay attention to. And I see people who follow hundreds. I can't imagine how they could possibly get through the day and pay any attention to any of this. It's, it's a good question you raised, Bob. Uh, Chief Marketing Officer in Los Angeles told me that, uh, you know, I have to paraphrase what she said, but uh, people are interested in what you're interested in. And now, I don't, I agree wholeheartedly with Scott. Um, people that get on Twitter and start to say, I'm getting in the shower right now, I mean, I don't need to know that much about you. And, and now I have, you know, I can't imagine what that looks like and I don't want to imagine. Um, <laughs> but, um, there's something about 
you know, if I get on the phone with an, with a, you know, a strategy call with a client this morning, what did the phone call wrap up with? What was he thinking about at the last play of Texas Tech's football game versus Texas when the player didn't step out of bounds and went for the touchdown? And, you know, that was an immediate bond uh, that we had. And so that personal interest, Bob, leads to big things. So if I tweet from Wrigley Field that somebody, you know, I'm there with my family, I take a picture, goes out on Twitter, I say that this player just hit his third RBI. Somebody from Des Moines responds, you know, to my iPhone and says, my family likes him. We had our picture taken with him last year when he was in the minor leagues. Calls me the next week, gives me a large project. I put out, does anybody think Tiger Woods is going to make this putt? It's 18 foot. Client in Princeton, New Jersey, client development director, 100 lawyer firm, says, I don't. I respond, well, we'll see if he's the Michael Jordan of golf. The next Monday, I get a call on a large project. That, to me, is very similar to, you know, a pickup basketball game at the Y where somebody says, gee, I've been meaning to call you. So that's, you know, I don't know how that fits into our life, um, but there's something mean and real about that. If I find out somebody else has an interest in baseball, it's the CEO of a company in D.C., and he sends me some lawyers that he wants me to work with, and he comes to Seattle, and we get together for lunch, and he gives me more work, and he's asked to get together next week in New York. That all happened because I, I, I shared an interest in baseball in a game I was listening to on the Internet. So that's just my take. We've reached the uh, near the end of the program where it's time for us to wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information so our listeners know how to reach you. And I'll make an observation and maybe lateral at first to Scott, but it seems to me, Scott, that what Kevin's talking about and what you're talking about is really knowing who your followers are and what they're interested in. And perhaps in your instance, uh, having your followers being able to point to something on your blog so that they can find something of more deeper interest. And in Kevin's situation, he seems like he's got people that have um, that are savvy in terms of marketing and, and other things where necessarily your clients may not be tuned into that. But uh, give us your final thoughts, please, and, and wrap up with your contact information. My, my final thoughts are, I'm sure there's a lot to learn. And I, I learn, uh, you don't learn from the people that are telling you you're doing a great job and you understand what you're talking about. You learn from the, the people that are giving you a tough time and, and telling you that uh, you know you may be a little bit off base. So I learned from people like Scott. Um, my, you know, my contact information is just Kevin at LexBlog.com. And if you want to go to my blog, it's Real Lawyers Have Blogs at Kevin.LexBlog.com or just Google Kevin O'Keefe and it should be number one. Scott? Uh, thank you, guys. And, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of this works out better for people who are in Kevin's situation, people, lawyers who are looking for ways to market themselves are going to look for this cutting-edge type of marketing, and Kevin is there. And frankly, I'm, I'm going to give Kevin a plug because Kevin does an exceptional job. I've been fortunate to be on a panel with Kevin at his invitation, and Kevin's got to be the most knowledgeable fellow I, I've ever met when it comes to uh, all the high-tech web stuff that gives me a headache. As far as those lawyers who think that this is going to be the, uh, the saving grace of uh, building their practice, I have very serious doubts that it's going to quite work out that way. The Twitter's here to stay, or at least Twitter's here until the next innovation takes its place, uh, is probably true. 
whatever has the community is going to survive. And Twitter does have a community. Make no doubt about it. But is it going to be a, a place for lawyers to find clients? Uh, the answer is probably not. Uh, to meet other lawyers, yeah, there's a pretty good chance that you'll make some friends and maybe when they need somebody in your neck of the woods, you'll be the person they think of. But uh, one thing that Kevin and I have always agreed upon is that no matter what your purpose in being online, whether it's a blog, whether it's Twitter, uh, you've got to base your, your existence in something substantive. You can't just be out there uh, begging for business and looking uh, for marketing. Uh, either, either you're going to show that you've got some, some substance as a lawyer, some internal self-worth, or frankly, nobody's going to care that you exist. And that's been uh, something that Kevin and I have both been pushing for the last couple of years. And I know that Kevin uh, keeps on top of that with his clients, and it's worked well for them. And uh, I hope we keep that up, Kevin. You and I keep that revolution going. Thank you. Scott, how can our listeners find you? Guys, anybody wants to read my stuff, it's at Simple Justice, blog.simplejustice.us. Love to have you. Great. Well, that Bob does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. To our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And I can't help but notice that Kevin and Scott have been twittering wildly uh, during this conversation back and forth with each other. And uh, there's so much we didn't talk about here. I, I, I have my own thoughts on this that I put into an article that's on Law.com. Uh, you can find it by searching for tweet 16 on law.com I, I i think there's uh, good reasons to use twitter for lawyers and i talk about it there thanks to both of our guests uh, great discussion great program and uh, craig i look forward to talking to you again next week we will see you then bob thanks for listening to lawyer to lawyer with j craig williams and robert ambrogi we hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the legal talk network Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.